Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. As we continue in our series in the book of Exodus, free at last. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came, told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again. Father, we do pray that as all of us sit under the authority of your word now, even the one speaking, We pray that you would, by the power of your spirit and through your word, do that work in us, that you would shape us and form us to the image of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we would receive your word, that we would lay it up in our hearts, and that we would practice it in our lives. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I love performing marriages. It's one of the things that I do as a pastor that is deeply enjoyable uh, and rewarding. I got to do so a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, for Dr. Washington and Dr. Washington. We're in the house this morning. Since marriage in many ways reflects the relationship between God and his people, Christ and his church, I together with those attending get to see each time I do a a, a wedding, a reminder of that bond that God has with us as His people. And the the ceremony itself is a a public ratifying, a public signing and sealing of the relationship between the man and his wife. It's their public announcement that this is official. I'm signed, sealed, delivered. And as Stevie Wonder says, I'm yours. (laughs) And there is, there's meaning 
There's meaning in the ceremony, for vows are taken and rings often exchanged, which present a couple with verbal and visible confirmations that they can regularly look back on as they live their lives together. There is a covenant made and a covenant sealed. And I believe this is what we see in the text in front of us, in a sense. We see in this story a, a ratifying, a public a public signing and sealing of the covenant relationship that God was entering into with His people at Mount Sinai under Moses. From the public reading of the covenant code, which began back in chapter 20, to the people's vow to keep it, to the sprinkling of blood on the people and the altar, to the meal with Moses and the elders, God signed and sealed and delivered His covenant to His people. The relationship between them and their God was now official. The people would have God's Word, and they would have, have the memory of this ceremony as a continued reminder of the covenant that they had entered into with, with the Lord. And this is the character of our God, for in His faithfulness to us, He delights to give us these signs, to give us these seals, to give us these confirmations of, of the promises that He makes to us as as our God and as our King. Indeed, in the new covenant, He has given us baptism and the Lord's Supper as visible confirmations of His covenant promises to, to encourage and to strengthen us in those promises, to confirm all the blessings of those, uh, of those promises to us as His people. These are confirmations that what God has given us in salvation remains ours through faith in Jesus Christ. But, but there's another side of, 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 ratifying, uh, of this ratifying action of God, and that is that God knows that, that we are prone to forget our side of the covenant. We, we, are, we are prone to, to forget. We are prone to go astray uh, as it relates to, relates to our side of, of, of the contract that we have entered into with God. He knows we are prone to forget. He knows that we are prone not so much to forget mentally, but, 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 but we, are, we are prone to forget by turning away from what we are called to in faithfulness to Him. In fact, in just a few days in terms of this text, Israel is going to forget and they're going to bow down, actually, to a God of their own making. They just had this ceremony with God where God confirmed His covenant with them, and just a few days later, they're going to forget in terms of bowing down to this idol. And so God gives us, He gives us these signs, He gives us these seals to remind us and to call us toward a renewed commitment to Him when we stray. He wants us to live unto Him. And a reminder of this truth can be seen in 1 Corinthians 11, right, where Paul reminds the Corinthians of the purpose of the Lord's Supper, a purpose which involves unity with our Lord through His sacrifice for us and unity with one another through that same sacrifice. And he does this because there are divisions in Corinth, divisions that were displayed at the very fellowship meal in which the Lord's Supper was celebrated in which some were getting full and drunk and others were going away hungry. 
And so Paul reminds them of, 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 the, of this covenant that they have with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, this covenant that calls them to, 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 to unity in their relationship with God, but also unity in their relationship with each other. For the same Lord is Lord of all who have their faith in Jesus. And so God's ratifying of the covenant here in chapter, 20, chapter 24 his signing and sealing of the relationship with his people, it would be a confirmation and an encouragement and an empowerment for them to keep the promises that they had now vowed to keep to the Lord. So what does God confirm then in this covenant sealing ceremony? What does he confirm uh, in this ceremony about his people that he wants them to remember? Well, first of all, they are his ambassadors. Moses came and told the people, verse 3, all the words of the Lord and all the rules and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then in verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and be obedient. A big part of being God's chosen nation was the special privilege given to the people of Israel to be bearers of God's Word. God had given the people of Israel His law, speaking both directly to the people in the giving of the Ten Commandments and and through Moses in in the covenant uh, code, which in part are, are those Ten Commandments fleshed out in practice among His people during this period of their history. Indeed, Moses would emphasize this special privilege later, saying this in Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this is a great nation, wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I sat before you, set before you today? Sorry, a little bit of country came out of me. My my mom's from Louisiana and my dad's from Mississippi, so you heard that sat instead of set, but anyway, it's another thing. (laughs) But bearing God's Word was a privilege given to His church covenant relationship with Him. And His people, therefore, were respected to keep those words, and they vowed to do so in this covenant sealing ceremony in Exodus, saying, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And what was true for Israel, brothers and sisters, is now true for us who have been brought into the new covenant through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are also called to bear God's Word. We have also been given that privilege to be bearers of the Word of God, to be His ambassadors, proclaiming His Word to others. We're called to bear it and take it to the nations around us, proclaiming through our public preaching and faithfulness to that Word that we are truly the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself in fact, tells us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to observe what I have, what, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. Jesus, Jesus gives us his commandments. He, he gives us in covenant relationship. He gives us the very words of the living God, his commandments to bear and carry out to the world around us. I mean, what a privilege. What a joy. In covenant, God confirms that we are recipients of his word, that we are ambassadors to carry that word into the world. As Israel did, we are called to submit our lives to that word, to follow that word in all of our speaking and all, our, all, of, our, all of our living in this world. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 21, therefore, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And that word that's able to save our souls is able to save the souls of our neighbors as well. Indeed, what a privilege and joy we have to carry that word into the, word, into the world. With meekness means in gentle submission. It's how we're called to receive the word in submission and humility because it is the word of the very living God. When, people, when the people vowed to do all that God said, they were verbally submitting themselves to keep that word, to do what it said, to follow its precepts. But you know how the story goes. Many were not so meek in their practice, and they rebelled against the word of God. But we who are members of the new covenant have not only the word implanted in us, we have the spirit of the living God implanted in us as well. And so the call is to yield to the Spirit as He directs us to keep the Word of God. And that yielding, brothers and sisters, requires humility. It requires meekness. It requires believing that we are not the ultimate authority in this life, that God is the ultimate authority in our lives and over this world, such that we are willing then to put ourselves under the Word of God and not our own words. And we all know the temptation, don't we? To follow our own way, to follow our own words. God calls us to forgiveness, but we know how quick we are. God calls us to show mercy, but we know how quick we are in another direction. So submission means humbly setting ourselves under the authority of what God has said and doing what He tells us to do. So where do you need that meekness today? Where do you need to humbly submit to the Word of God? I want to encourage you this morning, if you ask God for humility, He will grant it to you. If you ask God to help you to submit to what He says, He will help you submit. So ask God, and He will grant you the humility to keep His commandments. So we see in this covenant sealing ceremony that God's people are, 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 are confirmed in being His ambassadors, the bearers of His Word to each other and to the world around them. But they are also confirmed in this covenant as His holy nation. In sprinkling blood on the people, Moses was both sealing God's people as set apart, set apart by God to be His holy nation and, and sealing their cleansing from sin to be that holy nation. 
Israel was being set apart for a special purpose, but, uh, but Israel was not holy by virtue of its own goodness. I said that last week, that Israel wasn't inheriting the land because they were good. They were inheriting the land because God is good. And because God is a forgiving God, they were being set apart as holy, not because they were holy in and of themselves, but because they were made holy by His forgiveness. They were being set apart for a special purpose, but not by virtue of their own goodness. No, Israel needed to be cleansed. They needed to be forgiven for their sin. And God, in this very ceremony, through the sprinkling of blood on the people and sprinkling of blood on uh, on the altar. In this very ceremony, he was signaling that he, rather than pouring out his wrath on them when they failed, would provide cleansing, would provide forgiveness by providing a sacrifice in their place. Uh, the writer of Hebrews speaking to this very event says, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, He sprinkled with the, uh, with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so, God, being rich in mercy and binding Himself in covenant with His people, gave them an assurance that He had forgiven their sins and that He was setting them apart to be His very own people, His holy nation, by virtue of that forgiveness. They were set apart not because they were good, but because God was good and is good. And that goodness of God… kept being demonstrated through the covenant with Moses and through the covenant with David until the time when David's descendant, the one promised in that covenant to sit on the throne, and the one who had also been promised in the time of Moses, the one that God would raise up to be a prophet like Moses to whom the people must listen. This promised one is the one of whom Peter speaks when he encourages us to know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is Jesus, our Lord, whom the writer of Hebrews says entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? To be God's people is to be forgiven. I'm going to say that again. To be God's people is to be forgiven. To be God's people is to have all of your sins washed away. To be God's people is to know that God will not hold those things against you because He Himself will provide a sacrifice and has provided a sacrifice that you and I might have eternal redemption and be eternally set apart as God's own people. It is to be freed. To be His holy nation is to be freed through the forgiveness of that sin and to serving the living God as those set apart for that purpose. And so, in in covenant, God confirms our holiness 
that we have been set apart for His service through the forgiveness of our sins. And this was true for His people of old, and it's true to a greater degree for us under the new covenant. We're not just set apart to be holy, we are indwelt by the Holy One, the Spirit of God. Amen, people of God. That we have been made holy through the blood of Christ should cause us to pursue holiness in our lives. The writer of Hebrews tells us to strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And as Peter tells us, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And holiness has to do with how we conduct ourselves in this world. It has to do with how we speak and and how we live before each other and before outsiders. It has to do with refusing to follow the ways of our past when we did not believe in God. And it has to do with pursuing now and and into the future what God says is good. So where do you need to be holy right now in your life? Are you struggling in any of those passions of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, sexual immorality and impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness? You know where you are this morning. You know if any of those things are struggles for you. If they are, here's what Jesus says, or here's what John tells us to do. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to renew in us, to renew in us a passion to live for God in this world. Amen, people of God. And so, I want to remind you this morning that also holiness is not a private affair, but a pattern of life we are called to help each other to walk in. The community of God, hearing these laws, will be reminded that that while these laws had personal application to their personal lives, it also meant that they together were to pursue this, meaning helping each other to keep those very laws that God was laying out for them. And we need to do that, too, in the body of Christ. Amen, people of God. We need to help each other to be holy and righteous in our speech and our conduct. And that goes for every single one of us, even me who is speaking. If I am found to not be walking in the way God calls me to, it's your job as the people of God to say, Pastor, we love you, and we care deeply about you, but we want you to do what's right, and we want you to do what's good. Amen, people of God. That goes for every one of us, officers and members alike. Amen, people of God. So I'd invite you this morning, if you are struggling, to cry out to God for help and to cry out to your brothers and sisters for help. Holiness is not just a a private or personal affair. It's a corporate calling. Amen, people of God. So God was confirming to His people that, that they were now His ambassadors, the bearers of His Word, and He was confirming that they were His holy nation. He was also confirming that they have access into His presence. They have access into His presence. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel, verse 9, went up, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. 
and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, they beheld God and ate and drank. This is one of, one of the incredible parts of this story. Having called Moses and the elders up to the mountain to meet with him in verses 1 through 3, we now read the fulfillment of that in verses 9 through 11. And what a scene it must have been. For Moses and these elders were granted the privilege of seeing a visible manifestation of the Almighty. Indeed, since God is a spirit and has no body, God was present with them through what we call a, a theophany, a visible manifestation of His presence. And yet, He was really there with them on that mountain. And there is this short but important phrase in, in, uh, in, verse, in, in verse 11, and he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, though they were sinners in the presence of a holy God, and yet they were, uh, yet, though, 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 they, though they were sinners, though they were sinners in the presence of a holy God, they were able through God's forgiveness to meet with Him. They were invited into His, into His very presence to fellowship with the Almighty. And so we read, they beheld God and ate and drank. But, but while this story represented a picture of God's desire to draw near His people in fellowship, the intimacy enjoyed by the people in this story was tiered. Not everyone enjoyed the same level of access. The people though invited to the mountain and into God's presence in that sense, which was incredible in and of itself, were not able like Moses and the elders to meet with God at the same level. Indeed, even Moses had access that neither the elders nor the people enjoyed. But a day is coming, a day foreshadowed by this meal, a day when all God's people will see the Lord. And what is more, the God who in this story made Himself visible through a theophany has now made Himself fully visible in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, His Son, who took on our flesh. And so, the day is coming where we will see our God and be known and know Him as we are known. The day is coming where we will see Jesus and behold His glory. The day is coming where we will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. But here's what I love about the Lord. He is not calling us to wait until then to come into His presence. No, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we come before His throne of grace for help, when we gather together in this place for corporate worship, our God draws near to us by the power of His Spirit. So even this morning, you have the benefit and privilege of being in the presence of the living God. So we don't have to wait to the consummation of all things to meet with the Lord. His presence is with us right now in this place, fellowshipping with us, feeding us through the truth of His Word, reminding us of His faithful covenant toward us, affirming His promises to us. And you don't have to have a special invitation to fellowship with Him. All you got to do is have faith in His Son. Through the Son, you have access into the presence of God. And so, we are told in the Scriptures through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory 
of the living God. Amen, people of God. And so in covenant, God draws near to us to fellowship with us. And this is, in fact, where we are headed toward a future where we will again enjoy unbroken fellowship with God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God gave the life of His Son so that it would be so. And so in the meantime, we have real access to God in the here and now. So I want to encourage you this morning to take advantage of that access you have with God through faith in His Son. The Lord Jesus Himself says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The blood of Jesus has made it possible for you to meet with the Lord in prayer and fellowship. Don't diminish that by telling yourself, he is too busy, or I am too sinful, or my concerns are too small, or he has heard this before and doesn't want to hear it again. Doubt is going to come when you don't feel God's nearness. Satan is going to come when you don't feel God's nearness. The world is going to come when you don't feel God's nearness. And so you must not let your own heart, the evil one, or the world deceive you. If God were not with us, He would have told us so. But He has told us the very opposite, that our hearts might be encouraged. Believe the Lord's Word and not your own. I will not leave you as orphans but I will come again. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and that, that you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the promise of the living God. You have access to the God of heaven and earth. Isn't that amazing? There is no one greater to God than God, and you have access to Him. There is no one greater than the King of kings, and you have access to Him. There is no secret service keeping you from His presence. There are no bodyguards keeping you from His presence. You don't need a special invitation to get into His presence other than knowing the Lord Jesus and having faith in Him. And that's your privilege as the people of God. Amen. So God confirms, God confirms in this covenant that His people are the bearers of His Word, that they are His holy nation, and they are people who have access to His presence. And you and I, as members of the new covenant, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now the bearers of the Word of God. We are now God's holy nation, a people who have been purchased from among all the nations to be His people. And we, through the new covenant, are also now those who have access to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the here and now and fully in the life to come. That's what's in front of you, people of God. 
And that's worth giving God praise. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Father, help us, help us to believe. Help us to believe, not just to read, not just to study the truths of your word, but to believe them. Help us to believe that we are indeed, through covenant with Jesus, everything the Scriptures say that we are. Thank you that through the covenant with our Lord Jesus Christ, we have indeed been made bearers of the Word of God. We have indeed been made His holy nation, and that we have indeed access now to the presence of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our hope, Lord. So renew it, I pray. Renew it today for your people as they have heard these things, Lord, I pray that you by the power of the Spirit would work these truths deeply in their hearts. That this week, Lord, as they are challenged by their own sin nature, as they are challenged by the evil one, as they are challenged by the world around them not to believe these things, I pray that you would bring these Scriptures to mind, that you would help them to remember who they are and whose they are. And Lord, that they would rejoice in you this week, reminded that they are now the people of the covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, and that all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and they are all ours, we pray, and give you thanks in Jesus' name.